0: I'm Spencer Cole, the Chief Investment Officer of Vox Royalty Corp. Vox is a high-growth, precious metals-focused mining, royalty, and streaming company um, that's differentiated by intellectual property, a technical management team, and a very low geopolitical risk royalty portfolio.
1: Spencer, good to see you, mate. Um, I, th- I think we caught up with you guys back at the beginning of October and I just wanted to sort of end of your uh, roundup, little, little chat. I uh, um, saw the press release this morning where you, you're giving us an update on some of the operating partners. I mean, maybe we start with that and then I'll, let, I'll dive into some questions if I may. Absolutely,
0: Matt. It's a pleasure to be back. Um, as you mentioned, we just announced uh, another operator update where four of our key operating partners have put out some really exciting drilling results. Um, one of them's comes with a a resource update, um, and the other three are basically foreshadowing resource updates that they expect to release to the market in the next few months. So most pleasing part of all this, Matt, is really just continuing to deliver on, I guess, what we've promised to investors in terms of just a huge volume of organic growth across our exploration properties, development properties, and producing royalty properties.
1: Right, and organic growth is important. Why? Just to remind people.
0: Well, organic growth is 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 growth on capital that's already been invested, so as opposed to M and A driven growth that requires you know further capital. So this is you know cream on the top of, of dollars we've historically invested.
1: Right, and and if I look at but if I look at this um, this year, you've not been as busy of late as you once were. Are you now sort of honing in on how you need to deploy your capital? Because I mean, it's been, I mean, I've got to look at the share price, right? And the share price has been you're up probably a bucket on on the year from the low, low to the high. Um, it's been it's been good, but it's been erratic. Uh, what, do you, what do you put it down to? Is it the fact that people are not sure, quite sure what you are yet?
0: Look, I mean, I think trading up thirty percent this year in, in a pretty choppy market conditions. You know, when a number of our peers have been trading trading off. Um, you know, where. We're, we're pleased, but we're not ecstatic with that outcome. We always think, you know, there's, there's, there's more to go. Um, you know, in terms of the volatility, look, uh, you know, you, you see what's happening in markets. It's, it's extremely choppy waters at the moment. So, um, you know, we, we've seen a lot of erratic pressure on the stock throughout the year. Um, but what, what really gives us confidence moving into 2022 is just the underlying fundamentals of the business and the actual the health and quality of the royalty portfolio has never been stronger. So, yeah, while short-term volatility will probably persist into next year, um, the assets continue to perform as we expect. So, we expect that should uh, should be you know tailwinds for the share price next year.
1: So, I'm trying. So, I, I, we had a kind of session at the beginning of the year. We're talking, talking, we talked to lots of royalty companies, right? And I'm trying to help people understand why royalty should be part of their portfolio because. Like even when we're talking about your press release today, you're talking, you're giving giving an update, but it's it's not very exciting, right? It's very hard to get excited about royalties, and maybe that's fine, and maybe that's a specific type of investor. It needs to think royalties are for me. It's it's a sort of slow and steady growth type of opportunity as part of my portfolio. Um, how do, what would you say to say to people? As a, why should a royalty be part of their investment portfolio?
0: Yeah, look, Matt. It's a it's a good question, and like we get this question all the time. It's like, oh, you put out these updates, and there's so many royalties, and what the hell does it all mean? You know, why should I care about these operator updates? And I've got a lot of sympathy because, look, your average investor, and which includes some of my family members, they'll say, why the hell? You know, what the hell is important about this press release? But um, you know, I think the 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 takeaway from a lot of these updates is, um, you know, properties that. Continuing to expand in size, so I'll give you one, one of these one of these examples. So, um, the Bowden the Silver Project, um, which we've included in this press release, um, the operator it's already you know uh, the the largest um, primary silver project in all of Australia. Um, the managing director was recently quoted on Bloomberg as saying he thinks the deposit could triple in size, um, and and they've just commissioned an underground uh, study. Which would add production on top of the proposed open pit. So, you know, that's that's a good example where a a royalty that we bought for a million bucks last year, um, which has annual revenue potential of two to three million for sixteen to twenty years, just continues to sort of look more and more attractive as the property gets drilled out and further studied.
1: Right. So, so stating stating the bleeding obvious, as Monty Python would say, is you invest a million bucks. You think you're going to get two three million bucks a year return off of that once it gets into production? So you need to believe it's going to get into production. You wouldn't invest your money otherwise, right? The tripling in size of the resource for you means just a much longer life of mine and a much longer annuity stream of cash return for you. And obviously, then I guess all, all numbers associated with that million bucks looks looks stellar. It's it's as simple as that, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's it's. It's bringing cash flow forward and increasing the size of the cash flow attributable to our Royalty. So in that in that case, it's not only just the mine life that potentially extends, this underground would increase the production you know, in year 3 plus onwards. So yeah, it's bringing forward cash to our investors quicker and larger, simplistically.
1: But the number for you guys is you can't go out and, you can't go out and say that, can you? Because nothing's happened yet. A lot of things can fall over between now and then. So you can't go and overstate future revenues you can only look forward so far. Yeah, look,
0: absolutely, Matt. We're not the type of management team to overpromise and, and under deliver. Um, you know, we we sort of pride ourselves on being able to set realistic and achievable guidance, particularly because we're not the ones operating these mining assets. So, you know, we're sort of a derivative of these miners. So we, we don't have full 2020 vision. We have regular update calls with management, but you know, we're not in the driver's seat ultimately. So we have to couch all of our guidance and expectations through that sort of lens.
1: So, you don't get any additional insight over and above what we, the public, do from those companies.
0: No, we do. It, it, it depends per royalty. Some royalty agreements have you know quite extensive information access. Others have you know less information access. And then you know, as just ordinary course, we have regular update calls with those management teams to make sure that the guidance we're providing to the market. Um, you know, it is as
1: accurate as possible. It's it's it's, it's really difficult because there's, so, there's so much data that we uh, as investors need to look at to be able to interpret what could be or is not necessarily going to be good for you. Therefore, good for us. Um, is do you, do you think that you guys should be allowed to present information differently? The like a what if scenario. Because, like I say, you know, some some companies really, really push it. You guys have talked to me in the past about discipline, right? And discipline sounds it, it's probably fantastic. But it's again sounds really boring, um, but it's it's probably the right way to be. You know, it's, it's sort of this, this steady state of, of building building blocks, as it were. But there's no no way of kind of recon, reconciling this um, as retail, family office investors into a number each month, other than waiting for your annual guidance.
0: Yeah, look. I think one thing investors can get really excited about um, is is you know if you look at a side by side comparison, and in our recent um, investor presentation, we we introduced a new slide which looked at you know owning the equity of a miner versus owning a royalty, and we gave a case study looking at an investment that Franco Nevada made ten years ago um, in a gold mine in Ghana, and it's night and day the leverage and the talk you get um, from the royalty, and with with Vox, obviously. You know the volume of discoveries that we're having in our portfolio is you know versus just buying a single junior explorer it's night and day so the upside is completely you know a multiple at you know a fraction of the risk profile so for us you know seeing all these these new discoveries and and the projects coming moving forward on a monthly basis that's what excites us maybe it's because we're weird royalty nerds but um, hopefully that excites some of our investors as well.
1: Can we pull up that slide?
0: Uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. So this just looks at a royalty deal that Franco did back in June of 2011 where they bought a 1.5% revenue royalty on Perseus's Etican mine for $35 million. And what we've done simplistically here, Matt, is just looked at on a like-for-like basis um, if if instead of buying a $35 million royalty, if they had bought $35 million worth of Perseus' stock. Um, and so the two thing things this really highlights, one is... Um, the fact that royalties aren't diluted, and secondly, just the huge revenue multiplier and leverage you get from a royalty. So, Franco Nevada has been undiluted; they still hold 1.5% of revenue over this mine. They've received 40 for over 40 million dollars US in royalty revenue, whereas an equity investor with that same position, you know, the stock's obviously traded traded down um, quite substantially, and then. They would have been diluted from 3% of whole the company to 1.1% and fairly de minimis um, dividend income. So we get this question often from investors like, you know, why don't I just buy the miners? And I guess on a 10-year horizon, this is an interesting comparison where you can see the real numbers of how you would have you know, fared investing in the equity of the miner versus a royalty on the, the miners' flagship asset
1: interesting thing but I, I guess there's lots of different scenarios there where perhaps the the uh, share price doesn't fall off the side of a cliff um and there are organic companies which maybe
0: no no for sure for sure this is just one 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 example but 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 you know these are real numbers so this is you know and I think the, the dilution you see here is quite you know representative of a lot of operators and, and developers that obviously need to raise considerable equity um, to bring projects into production.
1: Okay, um, look, I appreciate that. I, I, we should probably um, we'll put a link to the presentation um, below in the description below. But um, so looking forward to twenty twenty two, what can we expect? Because, like I say, you you've, you've you were not as active as you once were. Is that because things are getting competitive out there, and you don't want to overpay, or the fact there's just not that many deals uh, coming up at the moment?
0: No, I mean, we we have been uh, quietly adding new royalties in the portfolio. Um, you know, we in the last couple of months. You know, there's been a number of deals we were actively working on where the pricing just we didn't see the, the rate of returns for our investors that we would have seen maybe 12 months ago. Um, so we have been continued to be very selective on new deals that we bring into the portfolio. Um, I think it, it's it's fair to say, Matt, that 20, 2021 will go down uh, in history as as the year of the royalty auction. <laughs> it's probably been the most active year for investment bankers um, selling royalties and royalty portfolios. So against that backdrop, um, you know, we've remained sort of quite cautious about how we've allocated capital. Also, you know, as we're dealing with different royalty sellers, it's clear some uh, their price expectations have gone up north. Um, so, you know, we were speaking to a, a prospector in Western Australia the other day that has a really interesting base metal royalty and, you know, they wanted two X what we thought the royalty was worth. So that's not a trade we're, we're going to make, even, you know, even though it would have brought in considerable amount of revenue. So yeah, I think it, we have done less deals in the last six months, but um, I think investors can be can be satisfied that we continue to be very careful with how we allocate their capital.
1: Right, and if I look at what's been going in the last six months, a lot of M and A. We've seen we've seen some really big numbers being thrown out there because the producers have been, you know, generating a lot of cash. So they, they, it's a cycle. They 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 always do this. They buy they seem to buy at the top of the market, um, or, or near the top of the market. How does that affect the royalty business? Because obviously, those are, those are some big numbers, producers coming together, we, they, they, they've kind of filled the hopper for a while. So the next cycle is people have got to go and find projects to actually, you know, for the, for the next cycle kind of coming through. So does that help or hinder your business in this current market? Or can we expect to see a, a, a quiet period now for royalties and, and streaming more broadly?
0: i think if you look at um the, the history of the industry it has been quite counter cyclical so the likes of franco nevada you know have often frankly sat on their hands um, during frothy parts of, of the cycle and then when the trough comes um they've been you know, hugely active um particularly helping you know larger mining companies to recapitalize their balance sheets you know and uh, getting access to some world-class assets so you know, we sort of, I guess, broadly see that counter-cyclicality continuing. Um, I think we will continue to print deals over the coming months and quarters, um, but they will be quite selective and deals where, you know, the counterparty a- 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 has, you know, value expectations that we can we can meet for our investors. So um, I think in terms of what we, when we see large-scale M&A, like whether it's Kinross buying Great Bear or, or some of the other large, big, you know, large-cap M&A, we think it's hugely positive for the sector, um, uh, with you know, because c- it obviously means that you know there's a, l- a large amount of balance sheet that's still committed to the industry and committed to advancing these projects. With the obvious caveat being that you know we're in a cyclical industry, so um, you know we're continuing to have to be careful that we don't overreach for the wrong assets.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, it, yes. I think there's been a history of um, bad deals. L- 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 well. We, we talked about a few in in our investment club as well, about you know, obviously with the Great Bear deal it looks fantastic. I think it, it it's a good it's a good project for Kinross for what they need to achieve. Um but you know, in the past we've looked at instances where Kinross haven't quite got it right. And I think, you know, it's a salutary point that, you know, not all not all deals uh work out in the end. But and, and you and, and and the the you know, I think in that case, so you're seven billion bucks written off. Which is not nothing, you know. <laughs> so, um, look, for, for you, but does, does that have a, um, an impact on the size of your deals? If the, all these big billion dollar type deals are happening, does that mean that, um, you're, you'd be tempted to look at larger deals because you think the market's right at the moment? Or is it, is it this kind of di- disciplined approach to making sure that you're not overpaying and the deals will continue to be of a certain size? Which, which begs the question to me is like, is this slow and steady growth for you? Because if you're doing lots of small deals, it takes a while to actually come through and build up, and, and maybe that's perhaps what people aren't getting or liking, quite frankly.
0: Look, I, I think um, you know we don't have a, a sort of arbitrary number in terms of minimum deal size. Um, if I give one example, like we did a deal, we we didn't actually pr- press release um, a couple of months ago. It was on a gold royalty in Western Australia. We paid. Uh, it's almost embarrassing to admit it, but we paid fifty thousand for the royalty. But based on the resource and the fact that, that it's a mine that's being restarted, you know, we think there's revenue potential there of you know three to four million dollars, um, assuming subject to you know the final studies that come out by the operator. But you know that type of multiplier effect on return on capital, um, you know, that's exactly in our sweet spot. Now, if we arbitrarily said we won't touch any deal below hundred k, you know, that's bad business. So, um, I think it's a long-winded way of saying we're going to continue, and North Star continues to be return on invested capital. And if that comes in the form of larger deals, great. Um, or if it's continuing to, to hoover up these you know, hugely value accretive, but smaller ticket size deals, um, you know, we'll probably do a, a balance of those types of transactions. Um, we have, we have uh, had a number of really interesting royalties under option this year, Matt. That were, you know, I, I would say sort of transformational sized uh, royalties, but where, you know, on further confirmatory DD or based on the return profile, you know, we couldn't see the same volume of value uh, for, for our investors. So we, we walked away from a few deals, and then in some other cases, uh, we had uh, rofers that the, the mining companies exercised, which you know that continues to be our greatest source of competition. Because we price deals, you know, aggressively in, in our favour, um, you know, often the mining companies, if they do have a rofa, they'll happily they'll happily exercise it and buy the royalty back. So that is, you know, all kinds of frustrating. I can I can assure you.
1: Yeah, I, I, I bet it is. And look, and I can understand what you say. Oh, I fall in love with the multiple. Brent fifty thousand in and maybe three four million back. That's a nice multiple. But three or four million is small beer, right? It's nothing. It's 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 it's, it's, it's not ambitious. And I think if I look at some of your competitors or your peers—not competitors, as a mixed term—your uh, your peers, they're talking big and they're thinking big, and people are rewarding them for for that. I mean, so I appreciate you say you're you're, you're in the conversation. You've, you 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 are making the choice not to go down and pay big bucks for things which you think are price. I get that. At the same time, you've got to show some sort of scale to this thing. Otherwise, it is. You're going to have to do hundred, you know, hundreds of deals to be meaningful in size and and scope and ambition.
0: Yeah, look, I think um, all else being equal, you know, it'd be much easier to buy big portfolios of royalties um, for big splashy prices, and then we could do one deal a year, and then you know, uh, rest on our laurels for the rest of the year. But I guess you know we're not arbitrarily focused on just revenue, just growing revenue. There's some royalty companies out there that I think. They want to build an empire, and they, you know, they want to grow revenue at all costs. Now, there's a lot of royalty revenue you can buy out there, Matt, um, but whether it has an acceptable rate of return on it, completely separate question. Um, you know, our north star has been return on invested capital. So, you know, if that means that we have to do more deals um, to, to hoover up more disparate royalties from weird and wonderful royalty holders, you know, if we think that's got a, a superior long-term a rate of return attached to it for investors, you know that, that's what gets us excited. But but, but um, tell me why we, we, that's we important. Go.
1: Tell me why that wait, we should. I want to because uh, t- tell me why it's important. A rate of return, I get it. Okay. So if you're saying I'm gonna do a big expensive purchase, but the rate of return is a tenth of what you guys could get, but it still equals 10 million bucks, I'm like, okay. Ten million bucks is a lot of money. The rate of return sucks, but at least there's there's some margin being generated there. So when you say people do it at all costs, it's like sometimes it's the right thing to do, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think I think one one interesting metric we looked at recently, which we also include in our recent presentation, that was was um, price to, to book value. So it's basically a function of for all the royalty companies in the industry, um, how much has the market rewarded them for each dollar dollar of capital they've invested. Now, if you take us at one bookend, um, we've invested $30 million to create $140 million of market value. So, you know, we're right up there with Franco Nevada in terms of the efficiency of how much, you know, multiplier we've added to that capital. Um, there's some other groups, you know, that have been stretching to buy that revenue, as I, as I suggested, that, you know, are at closer to one times. So every dollar out the door has been given only $1 of market value. Now, that completely defeats the purpose of the multiplier effect um, on, on that the industry has delivered historically. That's not to say those companies won't, you know, won't be able to re-rate over time, but um, certainly the main thing we can control as management is how much we pay for the royalties. And so trying to keep that extremely you know, low um, relative to the market value of the royalties, um, you know, if you look at how Frank and Nevada has, has outperformed the entire industry in the sector – it's by being disciplined on their upfront purchase price, and then having those royalties re-rate in value. So that we're p- employing a very similar model to what is, has has worked for Franco over the last ten years.
1: Were they always worried about the efficiency? Was Franco Nevada always worried about the efficiency? Or was there a moment where they said, you know, at this time, because I think we've got built enough credit, we've got enough money, we can be slightly prepared to be slightly inefficient, but just get a big deal over the line. And it all it all kind of smooths itself out in a wash in terms of the way that people value the the royalty sitting in a company. I I, I and, and then the point of my, the point I'm making to you is like if you continue to try and do the most efficient deals, it it's going to be slow and painful growth, isn't it? <laughs> I don't
0: I don't think that's slow and painful, Matt. Uh, look, I think we'll have to do more deals. That's that's pretty straightforward. Like, but it you know it it means that we're going to have more diamonds in the rough, so to speak, that I think we'll bring into the portfolio. Because every time we get a, a deal that we think we could make twenty to fifty x our money, um, you know we might have a few others that that uh, have lower rates of return, but the portfolio returns that we're targeting, um, you know, we think are quite compelling. So it's more painful for us. You're absolutely right because we're going to do more deals, but you know that's what investors pay us to do is try and chase value and and, and deliver that value. So
1: okay, talk to me about share buybacks. You've done a little bit of um, share buybacking. That's right phrase buying some shares back uh, yep. uh, recently what's the point of that why bother so look
0: I think um, uh, we've seen you know a really irrational discount on our stock uh, for a few reasons um, and selectively we've taken advantage of that of that you know significant uh, discount by, by going to the market and buying back our stock so you know for every dollar of capital that we we uh, deploy we'll look at what is the highest rate of return and sometimes that's buying new royalties sometimes is buying back our own stock. Um, so, you know, we just see it as a prudent way of allocating capital and taking advantage when the market is, is applying, you know, uh, an irish, irrational discount to our, our share price. So, it's a pretty boring answer, that, but it's it, it really is just a general, ordinary course capital allocation basics, really.
1: How much money have you got available to you in whatever form for future? Uh, we've got
0: about $9, nine million of working capital on the balance sheet. Is that enough? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think um, look, it's 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 not certainly not a war chest, but I think um, you know having that amount of money keeps us focused on on you know doing the right deals, not doing all deals, so to speak. Um, you know, I think it's bad bad practice just to be sitting on a war chest of, of cash.
1: And does that make you defensible if someone comes in? Because there's going to be consolidation in this space. Does it make you defensible?
0: Yeah, look, I think the the consolidation theme in the industry continues matt um and we'd be shocked if it didn't continue into next year um you know i think our cash balance is is right sized for now we've got no plans on raising further equity um so you know and if someone wants to come along and knock on our door and and do a deal and acquire vox at you know a meaningful premium that we think reflects fair value you know we're not kingdom builders um we're here to maximize shareholder value so, we're we're open to to approaches and offers, um, and you know uh, if someone's knocking our door tomorrow, we'll happily entertain that conversation. But we're not going to give the farm away without the you know without paying the right price.
1: Okay, and just just to remind us of the guidance for next year, if you wouldn't mind, just in terms of revenue, for, certainly. So
0: we, we haven't provided formal uh, revenue guidance. We will be providing it uh, early next year. Um, brokers have us doing uh, so this year. We're our guidance is four to five million in top line revenue, uh, which you know we're on track, well on track for. Um, Next year brokers have us doing about six to eight million dollars of top line revenue. Um, And then the following year brokers have us doing between sort of eight to 10. Um, And so we'll provide formal management revenue guidance um, early next year. Um, But I guess those broker estimates are all that's out there in the public market right now.
1: Okay, Look, appreciate your time today. Um, we will be following you closely next year. Uh, well done on this year, and thanks for the roundup. Thanks for your time, Matt. We uh, look forward to having a, an exciting, year, more exciting year next year.